Good morning. Happy New Year. I haven't had a chance to wish some of you that. These continue to be exciting and eventful days. Maybe too exciting, too eventful. Some of us are ready to say, hold on, stop the train. Good grief. The, the, the news cycle just keeps changing and changing, right? I mean, whether you're watching the machinations and, and political intrigues south of the border or the challenges that we have in our own nation north of the border, enough already. Enough already, right? Uh, beyond frustration, I've, I've noted something else in myself. Maybe, maybe you experience this too in the midst of, of, of all the confusion. Um, there's a temptation to just throw up our hands and say, what's the use? What's the use? Uh, for some, I think it manifests itself as, as depression. And we say, I, I can't take anymore. For others, I, I suspect it's, it's more resignation. Like, what is the use? Um, this is one of several reasons why I, I'm really excited and grateful that we have the privilege of studying Paul's letter to the church in Philippi kind of in this season. I really believe that the Holy Spirit has queued this up for us. And there's, there's, there's some instruction that he wants to bring to his church in such an hour as this. Um, th- this is one of the enormous graces, gifts, that God gives to his children, to his church, when he wants to speak to us in a, in a season of confusion. And I want to strongly encourage you to just lean into this study. You may just... Make a priority to be with us in worship every Sunday. Just say, look, this is in my calendar and it's going to be there. Beyond that, we want to be disciples. We want to be followers of Jesus. So so would you purpose, and I know many of you do this, but would you purpose to to further this conversation in the days ahead? Uh, Between Sundays, to, to, to reflect, to pray, um, this would be a great season to seek out a, a prayer partner or, or a study partner, uh, to, uh, to, to sign up for a micro group or, or a life group online. We're finding ways. The rules keep changing. Thank you for your adaptive. We keep adapting because together is important. Like together is, is one of the gifts that God has given to his church. You and I to one another are part of his grace. So thank you for that grace. Receive that grace. Um, uh, th- this morning, go, going, we'll go live on our YouTube channel which is connected to our, fa- our app on your phone, connected to our uh, Facebook feeds and all those kind of things, is the 10 minute coach. And it's a, 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 a 10, 9, 11 minute video that uh, usually myself, Pastor Craig, when he's preaching, will create, um, inviting you to kind of come back to this text again. Like sometime over the course of this week, could be just you, could be you and a friend, could be you and your micro group, and, and it's just kind of 10 minutes of, of revisiting, hopefully digging a little deeper, maybe talking about some things that we didn't have time to talk about here this morning. I just want to just mention it to you so you know that it's there, and the intent is that it would help you to, it would help you to kind of spend some time this week as I say, personally or with someone else on the phone, on Zoom, however it is that, that you can find a way to connect to, to pursue. So, so dig into it, and, and you can say, look, Pastor, why are, you, why are you excited that we're in the book of Philippians? 
And there's, there's a lot of reasons for that, but um, one of them would be that this is a, a book, it's a letter that is full of, of some of the, the best known passages of Scripture, most encouraging passages of Scripture um, in the New Testament. Um, if you've been a follower of Jesus for, for very long, there's a very good chance that one of your favorite passages is in the book of Philippians. Uh, maybe it's one that you've memorized and that you, you hang on to. Maybe you've even hung it on your wall. See if any of these are familiar to you. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's right, Philippians chapter 1. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God. We we could go on. We're going to talk a little bit about that this week, uh, a little more about that next Sunday, Philippians chapter 2. How about this one? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And... um, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4. Uh, How about this? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Um, One more. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Isn't that fantastic? Like, that that just warms me. It just excites me when I read some of those passages. But what, what is it that ties these wonderful passages together? That's what we want to look at. We want, how, what's the context of this? What's the, how is it that Paul's writing? What does this letter have to say? I mean, these, are, these powerful, encouraging, motivational statements become even more so when we understand what they're rooted in. And how is it that, 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 that Paul intended the church in Philippi firstly, and then we, uh, the church of Jesus Christ. How did he intend us to hear it? We, we spent a couple of Sundays on this. We're going to spend six more Sundays on this. And, and so let me begin with a little recap, and then and we're going to kind of jump into this. Uh, Lord Jesus, again, we just commit this time to you, and we just ask that you would be our teacher, Holy Spirit, and, and that you would enliven your word, and you would open our minds to understand and stir our hearts uh, to uh, embrace some things that are pretty countercultural, by and large. And so we are giving ourselves as students to hear you, and we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let me start with a map of the Mediterranean Sea. We can pull that up on the screen for you. Pastor Craig, a couple of Sundays ago, introduced us to this letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he helped start in Philippi. Now, this is a modern map that you're there, and I hope you can see it. I couldn't say for sure, but very top center, you can see Thessalonica. It still exists as a city, and just off the K of Thessalonica is where Philippi, the ancient city of Philippi, was. This was the, the first church in Europe, uh, modern-day Europe, uh, to be established. Um, you can read about the founding of this church in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas and, and young Timothy, uh, they were out in what we call Paul's second missionary journey. And they thought they were going to go one way, and then the Holy Spirit spoke to them, and they, they realized they were supposed to go another way. And uh, in a dream, a vision, Paul saw a man from Macedonia calling them over. So uh, Thessalonica is in modern-day Greece. Um, At that time, it was the Roman province of Macedonia. Saw this man calling them over, and as a result of their obedience to the Holy Spirit's leading, this church was was begun. 
Uh, One of the first converts, according to Acts 16, uh, was a wealthy entrepreneur, uh, a woman named Lydia. Um, It was in Philippi that Paul and Silas were thrown into jail. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 25, Dr. Luke tells us this. He says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, if we'd read the backstory, they'd been tortured. Um, They'd been abused before they were thrown into prison. And here they are about midnight, probably unable to sleep for the pain, but we can pray and we can worship. Praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Probably saying, what the heck are these guys about? And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now the Philippian jailer at this point drew his sword and was going to do what a a Roman soldier would do do when they'd failed their duty. And Paul cries out, stop, we're all here. Nobody's gone. Don't harm yourself. Well, that was such a profound experience in that man's life that the text goes on to tell us that he and his entire family turned to Jesus, were baptized, and began following Jesus. Okay, so we've got Lydia, we've got this Roman jailer's um, uh, household. This is, this is kind of the beginnings of the church in Philippi, and, uh, and at least some of what, some of what um, Paul is writing to. These are some of whom he's writing to. Last Sunday, we saw the, kind of the second half of Philippians 1, Kevin McCoven, Colleen's husband, um, uh, he pointed out that God has smiled on his enemies, and he's made us his friends. Oh, I love that. And, and in this, God is doing an extraordinary work, though we may not always see it, though Paul was pointing out how it was there. Another quote from Kevin that I loved. His promises are hidden under the weakness of our ordinary lives. Doesn't it blow your mind? God's promises, his work, are hidden under the weaknesses of our ordinary lives, and the full glory of the church is only just a seedling right now. We don't see the full of it, but one day we will see the full of what we, the church, are to be. And in the meantime, we're not allowed to be escapists. We are to be engaged in God's world. And there's this warning that we not confuse Christianity, allow it to become something that's just political or something that's just economic. And as Paul makes these kinds of statements, the extraordinary thing is He's writing to the church at Philippi from jail. He has been abused. He has has faced unjust circumstances. And he is writing these words of instruction and direction to this church while he faces the injustice of incarceration. Now, particularly beautiful in this letter, and if you've been reading this as we've been kind of preparing, um, maybe you've noticed this. Paul loves these people. And they seem to love him back. Like we're reading the words of a mentor as he is writing to to children that he loves. These are my family. These are are my charge. And and so when he brings correction, it's, it's brought with this love driving it. Here's kind of the big idea that we're going to pursue this morning. How the church behaves, so we're going to get into chapter 1, into chapter 2, how the church behaves impacts how the gospel is heard. How the church behaves is going to impact how the gospel is heard. 
in our world. You and I are representatives of Jesus. Now listen to how Paul closes uh, Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 27. I'm in the New International Version. It will be on the screen, but if you're looking it up on a digital device, uh, I'm in the NIV right now. Um, This is the word of the Lord. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now I like that, whatever happens. Whatever happens. Whatever you are facing, whatever the challenge is, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, that you're striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are, doing, are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. How the church behaves impacts how the gospel is heard, how the good news about Jesus is being heard. And Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we say, okay, well, well what does that mean? What does that mean? So if you've got the outline, you can download it on the church app, you, you, you can download it from the website, uh, but I, I voiced this like, like this. Whatever happens, man or worthy, wear Jesus well. Okay, you're representing him, you're carrying him everywhere you go, so wear him well as you represent him. Uh, the New Living Translation puts this passage, uh, chapter, verse 27, this way. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel or the good news about Christ. So, so that a manner worthy of, that, that is citizenship language for Paul. Um, how does one behave as a good Roman citizen, as a good citizen of Philippi, a good citizen of Rome or of Ephesus? Um, uh, how, how, do we, how do we live as good citizens in the nation in which we live? Well, right now, Right now, we're wearing masks. Uh, We're distancing from one another to to try to care for one another as best we understand it. Uh, Care for one another and and one another's health and one another's wellness. And you know what? We're doing that even in the midst of confusion, right? Like there are scientists and medical professionals out there that have some other opinions and they're starting to publish those opinions and assessments. But, but, But right now, we'll let the scientists and the medical practitioners figure that out, okay? But right now, we're going, to be, we're going to conduct ourselves in, wor- in a manner worthy of good Albertans. And we're going to do what has been requested of us, or in some cases required of us. Now, Paul's asking that kind of question about godly citizenship. Uh, how do we, how do we, what's my duty as, as one who is in God's commonwealth? Well, Paul's going to tell us about this. He says, uh, firstly, he says, stand together in unity. Verse 27, second half, he says, I know that you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Now just set that second part aside for a moment. We'll come back to that maybe a little bit more next Sunday, uh, fighting together that militaristic kind of language. But he says, I know that you're standing together with one spirit, one 
purpose? How do, how do I live as a citizen of heaven? Well, I conduct myself, we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel by insisting that we will be together and not apart. That we will find ways to co-labor and to agree together. He's talking about unity, and this is going to become a primary thread for Paul through much of this letter. He's not going to let us go from this. He says that in verse 28, the beginning of 28, he says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Okay, so he's talking about standing together and choosing to, to not bow to intimidation or fear. Uh, intimidation or fear because of the gospel, because of the hope that we have in Jesus. Um, many years ago, when I first got out of college, actually, I, I created a small advertising agency. Um, writing music was kind of the primary skill that I brought to the, the business. Um, I hired a graphic artist who worked for me, and we would create advertising campaigns, uh, all small market stuff in the north of Toronto area. I wanted to better understand the craft. How, how do you sell things? How do you market things better? My primary training was in music, not in marketing. Um, so I, I, I was reading, reading anything I'd get a hold of. And there was one guy named David Ogilvy. He was kind of a mm, guru, a great advertising legend. Um, one of the things that he contended was this. The most powerful motivator known to humanity is fear. Better buy that product before it's gone. Um, don't want to miss that sale. <laughs> then you'd pay too much, <laughs> right? So, we're, and we're living in a world right now that has been significantly impacted by a, a fear-based message. Uh, we're, we're wanting, people don't want to get COVID. Uh, they don't want to give it to somebody else. Um, fear-based motivation isn't all bad. Uh, I, I double-check that the stove is off before I put my hand on it. On very much on purpose. I don't want to burn, okay? Like there's something about it that's, that's, that's helpful to us. And Paul's really calling this to our attention that this is a thing. It's a thing that you need to pay attention to and don't let fear keep you from representing the good news of Jesus. Fear of being in jail, if that's Paul's situation. Fear of being persecuted. Fear of being marginalized in our society. Now he's going to talk more about how we represent the gospel because not all ways are created equal. Paul, at last Sunday, we saw was underscoring the fact that because he was in jail, the gospel was being shared in some very unique ways. The Praetorian Guard, the, the elite guard of the Roman army, uh, was hearing the gospel because Paul was in jail because of his suffering. Isn't that crazy? You get to the end of Philippians chapter four, and it's almost like a nudge and a wink from Paul. He says, by the way, um, uh, the members of Caesar's household also send their greetings. Like it's this, it's this little, yep, yep, the gospel not only is being heard, but it's being embraced by some, even in Caesar's household. Isn't that fantastic? In the halls of power, first century, the hope of Jesus was being embraced in extraordinary ways in, in unusual places, and the means of access was actually the marginalization and the persecution and the willingness to endure injustice of a man like Paul. And so Paul could write, in, in the first chapter, he could say, everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. 
He's saying, look, God is bigger than these circumstances that have you distressed right now. And so he's gonna, he's gonna call us back to this theme of unity, being together, wear Jesus well, but he's also gonna call us to a new way of thinking. He says, it's time that we learn to think like Jesus. Listen to what Paul writes, chapter two, verse one. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, I'm going to come back to that, but here's the reality. There are a bunch of issues that want to divide followers of Jesus, right? Um, I mean, COVID responses. Um, political issues, right, left, middle, um, uh, the underlying economic theories. Oh, this is a more biblical way. They want to divide us. Um, race wants to divide us. Uh, gender issues would, would, would try to divide us. Um, age diversities, what the young want, what the older want. want. Economic strata, the haves, the have-nots. The list goes on and on of the things that would threaten to divide the church. And Paul's not immune to this himself. He understands the extraordinary diversity of those who were in confessing Christ. Soldiers were confessing Christ. Members of Caesar's household were confessing Christ. Slaves were confessing Christ. Slave owners were confessing Christ. Holy smokes! Does it get any more diverse than that? Ethnically diverse age diversity, it was all there. I, I kicked myself the last time uh, somebody sort of, we were celebrating somebody's significant anniversary. I think it was a 40th wedding anniversary. Do you know what a, a, an incredible thing exists among us as a church family here at Okotoks Alliance Church? Like we've got people who have stuck it out through 20, 30, 40 years of marriage. That's a resource for those of you who've like two or three or five or ten. Like, like there, there's just a wealth of, of how do we do this? How do we, how do we work together? How do we endure? It's part of the diversity of Christ. It's part of the, the gift to one another. It's part of the beauty of when we find ways to walk in agreement together, walk in unity together, that we get to live out of these joys and these gifts, these gifts, these grace-lets that God would give to us. And so how the church behaves, impacts the gospel, not just how it's heard out there, but how it's experienced in here. And Paul's effectively saying, look, everything's at stake here. Like, like the reputation of Jesus is at stake here. If we're going to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, uh, we, need to begin, we need to begin with what we have in common. Chapter 2, verse 1. We are in Christ. Because you and you and, and, and you and you and me, because we, we have turned to Jesus, recognizing we need his, uh, him to save us out of the consequences of our sin, 
Um, because we have, have chosen the label Christian over every other label that might be on our lives. We are Christ in. He is in us. We are in him. Because we are in Christ, we are co-recipients, co-experiential beings of a common comfort, he says, from the love we've received from God. We got that in common. You've experienced it, and you've experienced it, and, you've, and you need to experience more of it. We, 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 that, this is part of what's going on. This is what the beginning points of our unity. You and I are sharing the same Holy Spirit. When, when you first confessed Jesus, he came in, 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 the, in the person of the Holy Spirit and took up residence in your life. Well, he lives in my life, too, and he lives in your life, too. And he lives, Do you think he has a common voice that he's inviting us to hear that, that, that would hold us together, help us walk in, in agreement together? And all of us have experienced, Paul says, the tenderness and compassion of Jesus. I mean, at first, we, we experience that tender compassion in forgiveness rather than judgment against our sin. No longer condemned, Colleen quoted. Uh, thank you, Lord. That's compassion. It's tender, loving care. We've all experienced this. Starting points for our unity. Paul says in verse 2, chapter 2, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, Paul's not saying that, that we should never disagree. Like, he's not saying that, 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 oh, those people are disagreeing. They must be sinful. Okay, he recognizes that we are human beings, and in fact, we can improve one another's wearing of Jesus, one another's carrying of truth, one another's understanding of Scripture through dialogue, through even debate, and bringing together the advantage of, of different perspectives. I grew up this way and I understood that. Oh, I've never heard it that way before. Isn't that fascinating? We learned it this way and, and begin to, through the diversity of our perspective, to understand it better, more holistically. Paul, Paul's not saying that we should never disagree, but he is saying how we disagree matters immensely. And we're going to come back to this next Sunday and, and look at this next passage in particular. Because we're, we're invited to gaze on Jesus and linger on him and emulate him as we begin to live out the, the, what it means for us to be united in these ways. It's powerful and it's central, but let me read it for you now because it's kind of part of the big whole that I'm hoping to help you see, uh, help us see together this morning. Uh, verse five, chapter two. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death, on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
We gotta come back to that. Like there's so much in there, we dare not just kind of skim over that. So we'll spend next Sunday just unpacking the beauty of that picture of Jesus, lingering on it, longing that, that it would begin to soak into us, that we would see him so clearly that, that it would be natural to live like Jesus. Because how the church behaves impacts how the gospel is heard. And so we want to wear Jesus well. We represent him. We want to think like Jesus, this extraordinary humility as a servant. It's at least an example for us. We also want to work like Jesus. Verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you and to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to, to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad. And I rejoice with all of you. And so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's go back and kind of look at a couple of spots there, would we? Um, Work out your salvation. Now Paul is not saying work out at your salvation, as though you could add something to the work of Jesus. You can't add anything to his saving work of you. It's his gift to you. Salvation comes free of charge. Turn to him and be saved. Apostle Paul, Ephesians 2, writes, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Right? So, 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 so we turn to him and we are saved and we receive that gift, but what now? Well, now we get to work out the implications of this. How are you going to live now that you've received such an incredibly generous gift? You've been made right with God. Your shame has been taken away. The guilt of your sin is gone. He took it upon himself and he gave you his right standing. And it's a work out of this salvation that you have now received. In verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And here we go. We're back to this unity thread that's through this passage. How do we walk? How do we work together? Well, we do so without grumbling. Oh, the work's too hard. And Jesus asks too much of me. And Paul would say, look, okay, you're going to have to work this out like spiritual calisthenics, okay? Let's work this out because the way you're thinking right now does not align with the magnitude of the gift that you've received through the work of Jesus. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to bring myself into conformity. I have to do some work on my thinking I have to, in order to think more like Jesus. I have to do some work on the way that I wear that out on a daily basis. I'm going to have to do some work on the way that, that that manifests itself when I don't understand what you're saying. Like, that sounds like craziness to me. But, but we, get, we find some ways to, to, to dialogue, to think, to improve one another's thinking, to iron sharpen iron so that we would be more effective together. But it's about this attitude. It, it's, it's about the, the way we approach this. Without arguing, Paul says, 
He's not saying robust discussion is not allowed. He's not saying the debate's not allowed. He's saying divisive dispute. That's what's not allowed. The, the slandering of one another. We'll come back to this next Sunday. What does that look like on Jesus? How the church behaves impacts how the gospel's heard. And so we're going to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And if we do this, Paul says, look, you're going to stand out. You're going to be distinct, you're going to be unique, and you're going to be appealing. Verse 15, he says, Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Maybe you've seen some of the calls to leave your Christmas lights up and on longer. Uh, Dark days of winter, dark, difficult season of of 2020 and all that this has been. Leave leave your lights up. That that glimmer of hope, right? In the dark of night, that that, that little bit of beauty, that little sparkle. Well, that's what what we are to be in a dark world. I've spent most of my life wanting to be brighter and sharper and clearer. And yet I'm aware of my failings in this. I'm yet aware of how quickly I don't think like Jesus, uh, or that I forget that I'm I'm wearing him before others. And this is the kind of stuff that, that we've got to soak in this, friends. This is tough, invasive, meddling truth. And if we're going to be if we're going to be more than, than hearers of the word and actually be doers of the word, as Jesus' brother James says in his letter, well, we've we got to marinate in this a little bit. We've got to let it kind of soak into us. And, and that's where the appeal to, to come back every Sunday, that's where the appeal to do some work between Sundays, that you'd be opening Scripture and coming back to this text and inviting the Holy Spirit just to, 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 to soak it in, the spiritual calisthenics. I'm going to work this out so that it, it, it's part of me. It becomes part of the muscle fiber that strengthens me, becomes part of the, the critical thinking uh, ways that I see the world. It, it gives me wisdom. It gives me insight. It gives me understanding so that so that I can shine the way Paul is describing and wanting us, the church, individually and collectively together, that we would be different in this world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, pastor, author, uh, martyr in Nazi Nazi Germany under Hitler, he offers seven principles to help us kind of get started in living this out. Let me just offer this. I'll invite the worship team to come and prepare to lead us in response. Bonhoeffer writes this, he says, hold your tongues refusing to speak uncharitably about a Christian brother. Uh, Number two, cultivate the humility that comes from understanding that they, like Paul, or you, like Paul, are the greatest of sinners and can only live in God's sight by his grace. Recipients of grace. Uh, Number three, listen long and patiently so that they will understand their fellow Christians' needs. Listen to one another long and patiently so that you'll understand. But refuse to consider time and calling, your time, your calling, so valuable that, that you cannot be interrupted to help with unexpected needs, no matter how small or menial. Uh, bear the burden of your brothers and sisters in the Lord, both by preserving their freedom and by forgiving their sinful abuse of that freedom. Declare God's word, number six, to your fellow believers when they need to hear it. I, I need you sometimes to remind me of what God's word tells me. I'm reminding you this morning of what God's word tells us. 
We, we need, need to be reminding one another of the riches that are there that need to inform us. Number seven, understand that Christian authority is characterized by service and does not call attention to the person who performs the service. It's not about building reputations. How do you conduct yourself? How do you conduct yourself at work, uh, in your family, near family, extended family? How do you conduct yourself on so- social media? Uh, like, like, are you know, what are you known for? Are you angry? Are you depressed? Are, are, are you, do you represent, represent yourself as resigned? Guard, guard your words. You're representing Jesus. You're wearing him. Um, when you speak uh, of politicians, what kind of language do you use? Uh, when you champion your preferred economic theories or, or, or strategies or, or, or in everything we do, we want to filter it through. Do those words sound like Jesus? If not, I can fix that. I can change it. The church, how the church behaves impacts how the good news is going to be heard. We're going to wear, wear Jesus well. We're going to think like Jesus. We're going to work like Jesus. Next Sunday, we're going to linger on Jesus. Just long enough that, that we see him clearer. Let me, let me read that passage for you this morning as we approach the Lord's table. Philippians 2.5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, to that death that Paul is referencing there, he took the bread from the Passover table and he said, this is my body given for you. Let's us eat together in remembrance of what he's done. Thank you, Lord. And after the meal, he took the cup from the Passover table. He said, this is the new covenant the new agreement, the new relationship established, the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. Let us drink together, celebrating what he's done for us. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that in the name, would you say it with me, of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 